We come now to the time in our service when we'll look together at God's Word, and we're continuing our series in the book of Ruth that we're going through this summer. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Ruth, chapter 2, and this morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 16. Ruth, chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. And God's word says this. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. May God bless the reading and teaching of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us to understand in a new way the way in which you have providentially been at work in our life, leading and guiding us to Christ. God, would we come to know something more of your favor in him this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've come now to chapter 2 of the book of Ruth and a quick recap of where we've been for the last few weeks is to remember that the storms of life had struck a great tragedy 
in the life of one particular Israelite family that was living abroad in Moab. The mother of the family, Naomi, has probably taken the heaviest blow, and she's lost her husband and both of her sons. And seeing no hope uh, for her future in Moab, she hears that the Lord has visited and provided food for his people, so she decides to leave Moab and head home to Bethlehem. But Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, uh, we also saw, exhibits great loyalty to Naomi and decides to make the return journey home with her as well. And at the time of her decision to go with Naomi, Ruth was well aware that as a young woman living in a patriarchal society, the best hope that she had for her future, uh, for being provided for and protected and sustained, would be through uh, pursuing remarriage. And with her being a Moabite and uh, the challenges that, that come with that living in Israel and with the reality that there wouldn't be uh, a man in Naomi's family, according to her perspective, that would be able to marry Ruth. Naomi tried to dissuade Ruth away from coming with her and telling her that remarriage for her in Israel was impossible. So by the time Ruth uh, makes her commitment to Naomi and says, you know what, Uh, where you go I will go, where you lodge I will lodge, Uh, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. When she makes that poetic pledge of commitment uh, to to Naomi in chapter 1, the high point of chapter 1, Ruth is making that commitment to her uh, with the understanding that the expectations that she should have uh, for her life moving forward in Bethlehem would be pretty low. And so the story has left us wondering as we come to the end of chapter 1 and come in to chapter 2. We're we're looking at Naomi and her pain and empathizing with her and looking at Ruth's loyalty and marveling at her allegiance to Naomi. But all the while we're wondering what in the world is going to happen to these two ladies when they get to Bethlehem. What I believe God's word is showing us this morning is that even in the midst of all of the things that they had gone through and all of the things that they were going through and traveling from Moab back to Bethlehem, God was busy at work. And I think what we see as the story follows Ruth in chapter 2, we see her at the beginning of chapter 2 in the story uh, in poverty, And we see her uh, feeling pretty hopeless, and especially Naomi seems to have fallen a little bit into some depression. And that's how our passage starts. And yet, by the end of our passage this morning, we see Ruth sitting at a table with with a worthy man of Bethlehem, and she is feasting on the favor of God. It's my delight this morning to suggest to all of you on the basis of God's word that you are all invited this morning to come to the table that God is preparing and has prepared for each and every one of us. And it's a table of his favor. And I've been praying all this week that we would come. So we're looking this morning at this table of favor that God has been at work to bring about. And as we look at our text this morning, the first thing that I would like to draw your attention to is that this feast of God's favor that he has been uh, at work in Ruth and Naomi's life and also in her own is a feast that he prepares. It's a feast that God prepares. 
You have to empathize a little bit with Naomi and realize how hard it must have been for her to try and pass on any kind of hope to Ruth uh, because from Naomi's perspective, God's sovereign hand, his hand uh, that, that according to her could control the universe and everything that was taking place in it, that hand was no longer for her, but it was against her. And the framework through which Naomi interprets her life at the end of chapter 1 is a framework that is focused on the lens of her pain. And all Naomi could see were the tragedies and and you're just empathizing with her because you're thinking this woman has been through so much. So as she's having these conversations with Ruth, you're saying, I get it. I get it. You've been through a lot and you're feeling pretty hopeless. I get it. Naomi has gone through a famine in Bethlehem. She's gone through a cross-cultural move with two kids. Can you imagine that? I mean, I, I try and take my kids to Rice Swimming Pool, and, and that journey is very difficult for me. She makes a cross-cultural move with two kids from one country to another. You can empathize with our missionaries on that. Naomi has also gone through the death of a spouse, a tragedy. She's also gone through the death of her two sons. Naomi has taken some heavy punches. Lots and lots of pain. But as we see in our story this morning in chapter 2, as it turns out, God was at work even when it seemed like his hand had been against her. And part of God's plan to provide good things and show favor to Ruth and to Naomi is that these two ladies had to end up in Bethlehem. This was the plan that God had laid out for them. And part of his preparing work to get them there meant that these two ladies had to experience some pain in order for them to come. After all that had happened to Ruth and to Naomi, after all of the low expectations born out of a heart of bitterness and despair, and they're coming into Bethlehem and you're wondering what in the world is going to happen to these two ladies, and all of the dissuasions that Naomi had made to Ruth in chapter 1 saying, don't, don't come to Bethlehem with me. I'm having trouble in my life and God's hand is against me, so don't come with me because if you come with me, there's no hope for you in Bethlehem. Uh, no one's going to remarry you in Bethlehem. The law says that someone from my family has to remarry you. And, and there's no one in Bethlehem uh, who can do that. So don't come with me uh, to Bethlehem. And you're wondering, oh my goodness, she's really teeing this thing up to just be a terrible situation for, for Ruth. And then you come to verse 1 of chapter 2, and it reads like the most nonchalant verse in all of Scripture. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. Turns out that God had been busy at work preparing a table of favor for Ruth and Naomi, even when it seemed his hand had turned against them. Though the options seemed to have been depleted from Naomi's perspective, teasing out her metaphor of God preparing a feast, he was the divine chef who had an ace in the whole ingredient he had yet to stir into the story until now. Boaz. The reason why it is necessary that the Christian believe with all their heart that God is always working good things for his people is because oftentimes he delays in revealing the full measure of his plan to us so that we might come to trust in him and live a life of faith. 
But here we come, and the narrator says to us that there was a man in Bethlehem whose name was Boaz. Boaz was God's preparation to show his favor to Ruth and Naomi. He was the right man with the right resources in the right place at the right time. And chapter 2 of our story gives you the sense that all of Ruth's life, everything that she had gone through, the joy of her marriage to Naomi's son, the tragedy and the pain and losing him, all of the moments was leading her up to the moment when she would meet this man, Boaz. Now the story says that uh, Ruth decided to leave that morning because she wanted to go and glean in the fields of Bethlehem. All that meant was that God had instructed landowners back in Leviticus 19 in Israel to only pass over and harvest their fields one time and to leave the corners of their field unharvested because God had a, a heart for the needy that he wanted to express. And so the harvesters go through the field and they reap uh, the crop one time. And then those who are poor and those who are sojourning in Israel can come through after the reapers and they can glean the leftovers. And in that way, God shows uh, a provisional care for the poor and the sojourner. And so Ruth gets up that morning and she decides that she is going to glean. Now it's interesting when you read verse 3 that the way that the text reads in English, it says she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. And if you look at any Hebrew commentary, what you realize is that what is actually being said in verse 3 is that as Ruth got up that morning and left the house to go and glean in a field of, of some man she was hoping that she would find favor in his sight, as she was doing that, her chance chanced upon her coming to Boaz's field. In other words, as fate would have it, she came to the field of Boaz. At this point uh, in history, there are no flashing signs, neon signs. I guess no landowners even today have neon signs. But there was no neon sign saying uh, who the field belonged to. It wasn't like, Boaz, 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 you know, here, here, here. It wasn't happening. At this point in the story, Ruth doesn't even know that Boaz exists. The narrator has only told us, the readers, in verse 1. And so she's left the house, hoping to glean, hoping to find a field uh, of a generous and kind-hearted man. And as fate would have it, her feet wander into the field of Boaz. The feast of God's favor is a feast that God prepares. In the midst of all that we go through in life, all the details of your life, your high moments and your lows, your disappointments and your triumphs, all the thinking and planning and strategizing that human beings do to try and figure out how they can carve out a life that they will be pleased with. 
being anxious about the future, all of those things, as it turns out, says the narrator in the book of Ruth, we are not the only ones who are at work in our life. You see that? You're not the only one who is making plans for your life. You're not the only one who is making preparations. Some of you may wonder about the decisions that you've made in your life up until this point. Some of you may be second-guessing the places that your path has brought you. But the reality is, is that if you've come to the place where God has visited and provided for his people, if you have come to Christ, if you have sought shelter from the storms of sin and brokenness, then no matter where you are and no matter what you are doing and no matter how dark is the night of your current pain, God is busy at work, even now, preparing for you a feast of his favor. Beloved, do you believe that? And in fear and trembling, we say, what a mystery it is that somehow, some way, God can use even our greatest tragedies in order that he might keep us on the path that will ultimately show that everything that we had gone through in our short and often broken lives was leading us up to the moment when we would, like Ruth, meet him. It's an amazing thought that God can take the rambling, wandering steps of broken people and still lead them to the place that he has prepared a feast of favor. I love how Psalm 139 puts it. It's my favorite psalm. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. As one hymn put it, our reason cannot fathom the truth of God profound he who trusts in human wisdom relies on shifting ground. If you have sought refuge in Christ, beloved, even now God is at work in your life. And he's not just at work. He is leading and guiding you sovereignly, mysteriously, even amidst all of the, the decisions that you're making in your life. He's leading you to a table that he has prepared that is full of his favor. God is the one who prepares the feast of his favor. But as we see in verses 8 and 9, he's not only the one who prepares the feast, but he is also the one who delivers a meal that can actually be received. Lest we be mistaken this morning, I want to be very clear and say that God's favor is not some sort of well-wishing that God bestows on good people. Now, God isn't simply uh, up in the sky thinking well wishes upon people who are living decent lives. That is not what we mean by God's favor. 
God's favor towards Ruth, channeled through his man Boaz, was something practical. It was something tangible. It was something that would make a real difference in her life. And we see what verses 8 and 9 say, that Boaz shows favor to Ruth by offering her provision and protection and sustenance while she worked in his fields and harvest time. Come on now. You might say that the favor that Boaz uh, was being used by God to show to Ruth was something that she could hear. It was something her eyes could see. It was something that she could look upon and touch with her hands. God's favor towards his people is not well wishes. It is a flesh and blood favor. Christianity is not some kind of make-believe, pie-in-the-sky religion. So many people think this way about Christianity, that when Christians close their eyes to pray, they're just firing up wishes, hoping by chance someone might hear and some stroke of luck might come their way. This is not true Christianity. In true Christianity, there is a real exchange that takes place when God shows favor to his people. And there's a challenge here as well for us as the people of God this morning. There is a challenge that we have from Boaz that one of the ways in which God expresses his kind and gracious favor to his people is through his people. And Pastor Panner gave a challenging word last week, didn't he? On challenging us to consider the cost of, of what it will take for us to be used by God like Ruth and Boaz in order to bless other people. If we have someone who comes into our midst, if we have people who are being converted and coming into college church, oh God, may it be so. If they are coming and we find that they are people uh, who have some need, whether it's social or emotional or physical or material or, or something like that, we can express, we can be channels of God's favor and express his favor to his people when we come alongside those people the way that Boaz has come alongside of Ruth. There is a real exchange that takes place when God shows favor to his people. And as Christians, we know that we can express God's favor to others in a real, tangible, difference-making kind of way because that's what God has done for us in Christ. In John 1, the scriptures say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. God was not sitting back up in heaven saying, I hope you figure it out. Hope it goes well with you. The ups and downs of your lives, the right turns and the left turns, I hope it all leads to a happy place. Good luck. No. God was looking down and being mindful of man. And the plight of man, with a heart full of compassion, full of a desire to bestow favor onto a bunch of people who don't deserve his kindness, he sent his son, flesh and blood. God has prepared a feast of favor. And he has delivered a meal that actually can be received. 
And then in verses 10 to 13, God's word shows us the kind of people that end up at the table. See this exchange happening between Ruth and Boaz. He's approached her in verses 8 and 9, and he's come to her. He's heard his, her story uh, from the man who was in charge of his reapers. In verse 6 and 7, he's heard her story. He knows who she is, and so he, he approaches her, and he makes her this real tangible offer as an expression of God's favor to her. And you, and you see Ruth's reaction to all of this, and you can imagine everything in, in, her, in Ruth's life that had led up to this moment in verse 10, all the pain that she had gone through in chapter 1 in her life and, and leading up and the hopelessness with which she must have walked the road from Moab to Bethlehem and thinking, well, uh, I'm not really sure what's going to happen to me in Bethlehem, but I'm going to keep walking towards that way. Anyway, in all that moment, and here comes this kind and gracious man, and he says, I'm going to provide, I'm going to protect, I'm going to sustain you. In verse 10, she's overwhelmed. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? So many people miss out on the feast of God's favor that he has prepared for his people because they don't know what it's like to be like Ruth. Who am I, God, that you would be mindful of me? Who am I, God, that you would notice me? Who am I, God, that you would show favor to me? When Ruth considered Boaz's favor towards her, she could find no grounds in and of herself that would have compelled Boaz to respond to her in the way that he has. In fact, she believes the opposite to be true. She believes that since she is a foreigner, she actually has a barrier about her that ought to have kept Boaz from noticing her. When God prepares the table of his feast of favor and he puts the meal on the table. Some people look at at the table and they go, yeah, that's what he should have done. And they miss it. They miss it. There's no feasting that takes place in their life. Why? Because the people who sit at the table that God has prepared of his favor are people who look at the feast and they go, what? could you? For me? How could you? And what we see that Boaz says uh, that made Ruth different is that she gave up the opportunity to find shelter from the storms of life and every other possible refuge because she believed that the God of the Bible alone could provide for her a better refuge. And so she came to him, hoping that she might find Shelter beneath his wings. Beloved, the only kind of person who ends up feasting on the favor of God is the person who finally comes to God empty-handed. Nothing to bring. And begs him to provide and protect and sustain them in the way that a little chick runs to the feet of her mother hen when the storm clouds begin to gather. Ruth. 
A little chick knows nothing of how to find true food or how to be protected from dangers. And if you need proof of that, just spend a little time with a three-year-old. Playing ball out in the front yard. Ball runs into the street. The child makes a move. No, 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 no. As the storm clouds gather, a little chick knows that though the sky may fall, all will be well so long as she gets beneath the wing of her mother. The beauty of Christianity is that all is required of us to have our eyes open to the feast that God has prepared for us in Christ. The only thing that's required of us to come and sit at the table and partake of the feast of God's favor that he has prepared for us is that we might humbly come. You don't have to bring your money. You don't have to bring your ethnicity. You don't have to bring your social status and the influence that you have in your life. You don't have to bring your Bible reading plan that you've been checking off every day since January 1 and saying, look, 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 you're supposed to show me favor now. None of that. To sit at the table, all you have to do is humbly come. And so the invitation to feast on God's favor is open to anyone and everyone. You must believe that Christ and Christ alone can protect you from the storms of sin and the brokenness of our lives and our world. And what you will find as you come to him is that at the cross and in his resurrection, faith in Christ is sufficient to provide and protect and sustain you even when your life is like a hurricane. I love how the old hymn puts it. Under his wings, under his wings, who from his love can sever? Under his wings my soul shall abide, safely abide forever. Do you know what it's like to feast on the favor of God? Have you ever been able to look back on your life and see all of the little details that he was at work bringing together so that you might come and meet him? Working in student ministries, you often hear students say, well, I don't have a good testimony. I was converted when I was negative two. I didn't live the rock star life. I look at that and I go, do you have any idea? The preparation that it took 
in previous generations. For God to be leading and guiding you to the moment when you might come to a place where you meet him. Generations back, if you're like a fifth generation college church member whose great-great-grandfather was here with Jonathan Blanchard, you should wonder at the grace of God in your life, that he would have been so kind that over a hundred years ago, he would have been at work in preparing his favor for you. I get goosebumps when I say that. Beloved, we can trust him. God prepares the feast. He delivers a real, practical, difference-making meal. He invites all those who might empty-handedly seek refuge in him to come. And finally, he fully satisfies and sustains those who come to the table. Boaz's table was so stocked that he could invite a foreign widow who had sought refuge in God to come and eat at his table until she was satisfied. She started the day poor and destitute and pretty hopeless, hoping that someone would show her favor, and by lunchtime, she's sitting at the table of a worthy man, a man of good standing, and he's passing to her the roasted grain. And she eats, and she eats. She's full. He says, here. Here's a to-go bag. There is more than enough for all who might come to the table of the Lord. Hallelujah. His table is laid with a greater feast than the finest foods that the richest and most powerful people in the world pay the greatest sums of money to enjoy because what's laid on the table is Christ himself. Christ is the ultimate expression of God's favor to his people. What Boaz showed in part, Christ has fully revealed. God has not forgotten his people. God has not removed his hand from his people. God has not turned his hand against his people. But in fact, God has been preparing a feast of favor for his people that makes the Christian heart cry out like Ruth. Why have I found favor in your eyes? The Christian knows the answer. Because you came to believe and know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Christ and Christ alone could shelter you from the storms of life and sin and the brokenness of the world because you have come to a conviction that that is true. You came to me like a little chick, humble, frail, and vulnerable, with nothing to offer. You came.
Beloved, won't you come again? And again. And again. He is at work in your life. is leading you to a feast even if you're in the midst of a famine. He is ready to provide for you and protect you and sustain you. He has invited you to come and sit at his table. And won't you come? Won't you come? All things are ready. Come to the feast. Come, for the table is spread. If you are famishing and weary, come. And you will be richly fed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how difficult it is to believe that you are preparing good things for us in the midst of pain. God, we pray that our faith in your word and our faith in who you are would overcome our fears and our anxiety and our doubts. God, that we would be like a little chick and run to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.